Hey everyone, welcome to Asian Tech Leaders, the podcast where we interview some of the most interesting and inspiring Asian CEOs, entrepreneurs, and thinkers. I'm your host, Justin Pang, and I'm on a mission to share the stories of Asian tech leaders to help guide your personal and professional life. Thanks so much for joining me, and I hope you enjoy the podcast. Dr. Raj Jasgupta is the COO of Electrovaya, a publicly traded company that designs, develops, and manufactures proprietary lithium-ion batteries. Raj has been with Electrovaya for over 10 years and has been involved with every aspect of the business, from cell manufacturing, engineering activities, and business development. Raj is currently responsible for Electrovaya's overall technology and BD functions. Raj attended Imperial College in London, MIT, and the University of Cambridge, where he received his doctorate in material sciences. In this episode, you'll learn about how Electrovise innovation and adaptability helped it survive and now thrive since being founded in 1996, why we're at a tipping point for clean and renewable energy after a few false starts, and why Raj left his PhD program at MIT, and how he figured out what he wanted to do with his career. Hope you enjoy this episode, and let's get started. Hello, Dr. Dasgupta. How are you? Hi, Justin. Good to see you again. Hey, good to see you too. Thank you for joining the podcast. I've been very excited to um, have this conversation and have been thinking about having either you or your dad, who is the founder of Electrovaya, on the podcast for, I'd say, maybe uh, a year and a half. Your oh, dad okay. kindly responded to my email asking him to be on the podcast, but we never booked a date, but I have you now. So <laughs> thanks for joining. <laughs> well, I'm glad uh, I'm glad you have me instead, Justin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, looking forward to the conversation. And, you know, it's late for both of us. It's uh, Thursday evening. Um, but yeah, really excited to talk about a few things. I want to actually start um, talking more about Electrovia, which is, you know, the company you lead. You're currently the chief operating officer. You've been at Electrovia for 10 years. Um, it's a company that your dad helped co-found and he's still um, very much involved. Uh, but for those who aren't too familiar with Electrovia, why don't you um, share a little bit of an overview of what the company does and um, the business that you're running? Yeah, so uh, th thanks for the introduction, Justin. So Electrovia is a, um, it's a lithium ion battery manufacturer. And I'd, I'd like to also say it's a technology company. So uh, we we manufacture lithium-ion batteries. Currently, most of them are being used in uh, what we would call heavy-duty applications. So these would be applications that use the batteries at least 12 hours a day. So that would be like a forklift at a Amazon or Walmart warehouse or um, an electric bus, something like that as opposed to uh, your your electric car, which is uh, lower utilization. So, so we make commercial battery systems. At the same time, we uh, have a lot of technology development uh, continually going on. So uh, we're working on some solid state battery technologies, which is quite uh, uh, it's well known at this stage that that's a, a big effort globally happening. Uh, we also have a lot of development work on on computer systems, uh, monitoring systems uh, for batteries, but everything's more or less battery related. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. And I mean, even just looking at the more recent press 
releases of Electro Via. Um, it's pretty amazing how much uh, innovation and uh, new product releases that you guys have pushed out, even in the last few months, uh, let alone just 2021, including the new cloud-based battery analytics system uh, that you're referring to. Um, and also just like the entry into the electric bus system, um, kind of ecosystem. So those are two pretty new initiatives. Uh, is that right? Well, they sound new, but they've actually been in the works for years. So uh, the electric bus battery systems, actually we started the development of those around 2017, 2018, really. Uh, it takes wow. quite a long time to develop these systems, especially if they're, if they're uh, out of your wheelhouse. That, and um, if you look at our team, um, the, major, the majority of engineers are working on new developments, same, same sim similar to what you'd see at, at uh, any tech company. But uh, these yeah. things take uh, a lot more time to develop, and to develop properly than, than you'd think. Yeah. And um, I mean, it's amazing, again, to see, about, see all the innovation that comes out. But to your point, we only see it when it's like ready for prime time. So um, obviously, it takes a lot of effort and, and time and investment. How do you think about you know, how Electrovia fits into like the broader lithium ion ecosystem, given you know, there are the really large, massive lithium ion um, battery manufacturers like Cattle, Panasonic, LG, even Tesla. Um, how do you think about, you know, a Canadian based um, uh, lithium ion company competing against the larger, uh, you know, more heavily resourced um, companies out there? And oh, what, what is kind of like the, the niche for Electrovia for you? Well, that's a great question and also a great word you use. So uh, that last word, niche. So um, first of all, Electrovia is not a, a new lithium-ion battery company. We've been yeah. around uh, for some time. And the battery space has been actually a pretty, it's, it's in the news a lot now. But it yeah. has been a tough space for the last uh, 15, 20 years. Um, so Electrovia, you know, we're uh, one of uh, relatively few North American battery companies. Uh, a lot of the technology for lithium-ion batteries has been developed in North America, but the giants of the battery space are definitely located in Asia. Uh, and the North American industry has uh, definitely has its uh, has had ups and downs over the course of that period, and. We're looking like the industry is taking it up. It's like a roller coaster. It goes up and goes down. Yeah. And I think we're on our way up again. Uh, so it goes in waves. Yeah. Um, Electrovia has been lucky that to survive uh, a few of the troughs that some of our peers haven't made it through. And I'd say we have done that through being able to reinvent ourselves through new technology. So uh, one example would be um, w one of the roller coaster rises was uh, the electric vehicle space in 2009, 2010, uh, around the time I joined the company, was looking like it was about to blossom. So mm. President Obama was just elected. Uh, he was pushing all the automakers to develop electric vehicles. Uh, Electrovia at that time had partnered with Chrysler. Things were looking mm -hmm. like they'd be on the up and up and up. 
unfortunately, the mainstream automakers at that time didn't take any of those developments and put them into production. So uh, by 2012, some of the big battery companies, A123 Systems, the most prominent, being went under. Uh, and uh, we, uh, we came out uh, a little bruised and battered, but we survived. Uh, so we, we did partner up uh, soon after with, uh, actually we, we merged with a German battery company uh, and started supplying Daimler again. Those vehicles, you don't see too many electric smart cars, uh, weren't a great success. So I think Tesla has really done wonders in keeping, and actually not just keeping this industry alive, but pushing it to the mainstream. Uh, I don't think you'd see uh, the other automakers launching the number of electric vehicles that they are now if if, uh, Tesla hadn't been successful. So, so soon after our German uh, endeavor, we, we decided to f- uh, re-spin our technology uh, and we found we could differentiate it by focusing on developing very long cycle life batteries. Mm-hmm. So your typical, uh, you know, everyone understands their cell phone. So they you know, their cell phone battery will last about two years before it's about 80% of its original capacity and usually that's time to get a new phone or replace the battery which that's is by design correct yeah. like if you, if you wanted to create a cell phone battery that lasted 10 years does that be possible it, it is possible <laughs> but our technology would allow that cell phone battery to last 10 years uh it may not fit as well on the phone but it would sure. it would last 10 years yeah, it's probably by design. Um, yeah, Apple doesn't want that to happen. So. <laughs> that, that's my opinion. But uh, so we said, okay, we have des- we have this battery that lasts. Uh, we put it, we we don't use years; we use cycles. So a mm-hmm. cycle would be a full charge and a full discharge of a battery, and um, our battery would last, let's say, nine thousand cycles. So we said, okay. That's overkill for an electric car. If you had that yeah. in an electric car, like I drive an electric car, I'll probably do one cycle on that a week, right? Mm-hmm. If you have 9,000 weeks, you're looking at an incredibly long time. So yeah, a little overkill for, for an electric car. But we found that uh, in an, in- an industry that people don't think about too much is uh, forklifts. So you wander into a, let's say, a, a Walmart distribution center. You'll find that they have a forklift truck, which uses a battery about the same size in capacity as uh, as a BMW i3 or a Nissan Leaf. Uh, they actually will use that vehicle 24 hours a day. So it's always running. It's always utilized. And... Um, Prior to our technology being implemented in those sites, they would use three lead-acid batteries per vehicle and physically uh, change them out every shift. So you can imagine how uh, difficult and organized a task that uh, would need to be. So our solution was use one battery per vehicle, and instead of changing them, you charge them very rapidly. And, uh, and that's worked well. Uh, and that's allowed our company to 
continue to thrive and continue to develop new technologies. And uh, it was definitely a good um, corporate move when when things looked quite bleak. Yeah, yeah. Congratulations. And I mean, I remember when we were in high school together and you know, your dad, you, I think your dad had this Jeep that was retrofitted with an electric battery, right? That That's right. You remember that. Right? I remember that. <laughs> and, yeah, it was, um, it was a Suzuki yeah. Samurai. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that that was in, like, I mean, the company was founded in 96. I, I think that was probably, like, 1997 or 1998 or something. And yeah, it was having an electric car was, like, what? How did you, it was, like, Back to the Future just, like, didn't. You know, things could have been. You can even buy one. <laughs> things could have been different. We actually had made the first lithium-ion-powered car in North America. <laughs> yeah. Um, now, unfortunately, you know, we didn't we didn't push that. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe but, you can uh, go to Elon Musk and ask for some royalties. You know. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, I wanted to go back to one of the comments you made, which is like, you know, I I feel it too, just as a consumer, which is like this time feels different, right? Like it's a confluence and like almost a perfect storm of number one, like the regulatory environment, like catching up and just like people's consciousness of, um, you know, the importance of cutting down CO2 emissions of which, you know, um, vehicles are a huge part of that um, seems to be like at a very um, watershed moment. So that's number one. Number two is just like geopolitical factors, right? And like, you know, North America, especially the U.S., wanting to onshore more um, of their, you know, strategic initiatives, whether it is obviously things like um, supply chain related to the electrification of the U.S. Um, so I feel like that's like factor number two, the geopolitics of it. And then the third is just like overall interest from consumers and, you know, large part just Tesla breaking the mold and making it cool to go electric, um, that there are those like kind of three factors that make it a really special time. Do you feel like it's the same? Like this is like, it feels a bit different or? I, I think it like feels, I think yeah. you're totally right. I think this feels different this time. It's, uh, yeah. it's, it's the perfect storm of automakers realizing that if they don't switch now, they're not gonna be surviving yeah that's a big part of it the the youth um do not want to drive internal combustion engines much longer i'm fairly certain of that um, yeah it's almost uh you know it'll we both have young young kids i don't think they'll uh be driving ic engine cars yeah they'll be like the horse and buggy right they'll yeah, be like what yeah. You had to line up at a gas station and, you know, fill up your tank with fossil fuels, with fossil um, fuel. And um, your engine was powered by mini explosions inside the car. Yeah. And, <laughs> and you had carcinogenic fumes coming out right, and right. poisoning everybody. I mean, yeah, right. they're probably <laughs> object to our uh, old lifestyle. So I think it is a perfect storm. I think, uh, read the news every day there's uh expansions of uh, uh of this electrification movement happening and it's um yeah. and now there's an element of competition to it so it, it'll happen faster mm. yeah 
And then I'd love to spend a, a few minutes on like your specific role within Electrobio. So I know you started in research and kind of transitioned more to business development role, and now you're uh, in the chief operating officer role. Um, what does a day in the life look like for you? What's kind of uh, within your scope um, in your COO role? So I'm I'm very lucky to work with pretty smart people. Uh, actually, telling my wife that this evening because uh, I'll uh, we have an open office, so I'll, I'll do my walk through and uh, start with the electrical engineers, see what they're uh, working on. For instance, we're finalizing some some new battery system models for uh, different lift trucks and. Uh, um, so they're developing some of that. Then I'll walk, walk a little further and there's our um, chemistry research team sits there. Uh, and that's my pet project really, uh, is the solid state battery project. And uh, we're, we have about uh, a pretty, pretty smart growing team working on that. So I'll spend a bit of time with them uh, and then uh, make my way down to the operations side of the, of the building. Um, to be honest, that's a little more um, regular. I mean, it's a little less exciting in a way, which is a good thing. You don't want oper operations to be too exciting. Uh, and, and seeing how our uh, supply chain production teams are working things through. Uh, and then I also interface uh, uh, quite a bit with our sales sales teams. Okay. I'm starting to take less of a less of a, a role there but uh still I, I work very closely with our with our oem partner our, our main oem partner of course is, is publicly known it's raymond which is part of the toyota uh, toyota industries yeah. and uh they're they're currently our most important partner uh, but we're adding uh additional partners to to our uh to our business so uh i think this week we announced uh electric bus um well, we've partnered up with Vicinity Motors, who, who's launching a, a number of electric uh, buses and trucks, and uh, that should be a very exciting initiative. So I, I sort of have my toes everywhere, but uh, not in anyone's place yeah. for, uh, most of the day. And just so I get this right, like you're physically walking the plant and the manufacturing facility, right? Yeah, I actually don't sit in my in my seat too long. <laughs> oh yeah. So, uh, which I guess is good for the, uh, you get your, you get your 10,000 steps in I there. My, I get my steps. Yeah. <laughs> so who needs tennis? <laughs> um, okay. Got, got it. That's super interesting. And just like, you know, it must make your day quite interesting too. Cause like you already, you're kind of covering three different parts of the business, three, four actually. And, um, I'm sure there are different needs and it ebbs and flows based on what's happening. So yeah, it's never never a dull day. Uh, sometimes yeah. you, you want a duller day, but it's never it, it's never the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then last question, you know, work related before I want to move on is what is it like working with your dad? Right. Your your dad is a co-founder. He's the CEO. Um, how is that like, and how did that shape or you know augment your relationship with uh him since he's both your dad but he's also kind of your boss 
<laughs> I, I think it has, has changed, you know, for instance, most of our conversations were probably work related, which in a way is, is fun, you know, um, yeah. and I get along well with them. I think we actually do work well together because we sort of leave each other alone. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, otherwise probably wouldn't have worked out so well. Um, so he, he is, um, he, you know, I think obviously we're similar, There's some genetics in common, but, uh, we have uh, different, different skill sets, which, uh, work, which, uh, work well, I'd say. So he's, he's a great visionary and ideas person and, uh, Oh, he's got millions of ideas all the time. So, <laughs> so you've learned how to give him feedback in a, you know, reassuring way if you don't like the idea. Yes, uh, and, and I think I probably have a bit more uh, ability to do that quickly. Than, uh, <laughs> good. Well, it's if you have a million ideas, you better say get some, to your nose pretty fast. Some, some of them are probably not very <laughs> good. Yeah, so. It's good. Direct direct feedback and a uh, transparent relationship looks good. Um, cool. So now I want to kind of shift gears and talk a little bit more about your background. Could you share more about um, kind of your upbringing and also um, where your where both your parents are from? Because yeah, uh, so I grew up. I, I I grew so Justin. I met you in high school, but I grew up mostly in Toronto. So I was born here. Um, my uh, father's from from India. Uh, and uh, moved to Canada after being uh, educated in, in England at uh, Imperial College where he did his PhD. And actually he came over with his PhD supervisor. They both moved to Canada and uh, started a company. Uh, and uh, his PhD supervisor and I were actually very close uh, mm. throughout. He, he unfortunately passed away a few years ago, but... Um, so, so my, my dad moved, uh, I guess, over in the 70s. And then my mom also moved over to Toronto in the 70s. Uh, but she, she came from Vancouver. So uh, her background is, uh, I guess, somewhat typical, not that typical from the West Coast at that time. So she's mostly English heritage uh, and some native heritage. Uh, and um, yeah, so, so I grew up in Toronto up until... Um, I was about uh, nine, and then we moved to India for about two and a half years. Uh, so uh, that was an eye-opening experience for me. Uh, I'd Which say my, city were you in? I was in Calcutta, so mm -hmm. uh, eastern India. And this was in, you know, we moved over in, I guess, 1992. So 1992 uh, was an interesting time in India because, uh, I guess, for those who don't no, the country was basically a closed economy until that time. So it was sort of like living in the 60s. You know, mm -hmm. the cars were all from the 50s and 60s. The designs hadn't changed. You couldn't get Coca-Cola. Um, phones were pretty rare. Uh, we had a phone, but, you know, the neighbors would come to our place to make a phone call mm -hmm. sometimes. And this is a regular, like, landline phone. Yeah, it was a regular yeah. landline yeah, yeah. phone. Uh, and with a rotary dial, yeah. I mean, it was it was like going back in time, in a way. But as a kid, of course, you're very malleable for all that. So, do you even like? I'm curious. Do your parents just tell you, "Hey, guys, we're uh, we're moving to India"? 
like or was there a conversation do you remember any of that how, uh, how i that don't really remember a conversation yeah. actually i asked my my mom the other day i was like you know did i did did any of us have any issue with this you know like did we have any <laughs> yeah. um, uh, objections to moving in she said no you guys were just happy to go oh great i mean we didn't really know what was going on and, and honestly that was a um if if i would be a different person if we didn't do that so mm. i think growing up in when when you grow up in one place especially uh canada or the u.s where culturally we're uh, we feel we're culturally dominant, and I think that's mm -hmm. being chipped away uh, lately. Especially yeah. when shows like uh, Squid Games is becoming is now the mm -hmm. most popular TV show. Mm -hmm. of time. But you know, in the '90s, everything was baseball and um, <clears throat> and hot dogs. And uh, yeah, but <laughs> I found the world was a bigger place. Um, when when we lived there, I I, have, I attended an international school, so uh, the the other kids um, were all from they were mostly from USA or, or or Europe, but they were from other places too, and often were mostly of Indian heritage. So um, I found it very interesting, though, that you know everyone was so friendly, uh, especially and they're so uh, so much at ease with kids coming and going and of different cultural backgrounds. I honestly didn't have, uh, um, it was not like that growing up. Um, and when we moved back to Canada, I went to a private school uh, and um, it was sort of a shock because suddenly um, the kids would no longer co collaborate to do homework. I mean, mm. they were trying to get the highest marks. It was, competition again and mm. there's a little you know you're you're um it was different maybe it's also getting older but uh but that yeah, was so interesting was, uh, yeah and then and I went to high school <laughs> yes that's when my life changed um i think what is so interesting now is like we're both dads now right and i'm like on the one hand like my family we moved around a lot we you know, I was primarily born and raised in Toronto and Mississauga, but we moved around a lot, like different areas and different schools, different homes. We traveled a lot too. So there wasn't a lot of like household stability, if you will. And also my dad lived in Asia for, you know, a good 10 years uh, while me and my sister and my mom were in Toronto. And on the one hand, I was like, yeah, the, you know, there's probably some like underlying stress that that created as a kid, even though I, okay but on the other hand like i wouldn't trade that for the world because i feel like a lot of the stress led to me developing skills or learning to adapt to different situations and all that good stuff that i'm like i'm actually really grateful for that so now as a dad i'm like okay so what should i do should we just like stay in the same house and neighborhood forever and like give the kids stability or should we mix it up and like you know introduce a bit more variability and you know move halfway around the world, for example, like what your parents did. How, how do you think about that as a dad now? Actually, I do think about it, uh, probably yeah. same as you. Uh, I think we both had that similar upbringing where, you know, it wasn't staying in one place. It was moving, you know, an international sort of yeah. experience. Um, 
and you know, I was speaking with my wife recently about that. You know, perhaps it's a good idea to move somewhere for two years. It's not that easy to do. Uh, though. Yeah, pack your bags and go somewhere for two years. But I, I, I think it's a valuable experience, uh, especially as a kid. Um, yeah, yeah. And to your point, it's like we want our kids to have a broader perspective and get out of the bubble that I know I've created for my kids, but. Um, yeah, it is, it is always really interesting as a parent now to be like, okay, what should I do? Like, what's best for the kids? And I'd like to think that, you know, like we saw with COVID, the kids are adaptable, right? Like, they will figure it out. They're more resilient, more adaptable than we as adults are probably. Actually, they're way more adaptable than we are. We're, we're, we've become recalcitrant uh... <laughs> stubborn beans right so yeah it's like what my wi-fi is <laughs> no what's a problem <laughs> um no thanks for sharing that story and then kind of um fast forwarding a bit so high school in mississauga and then um talk about your your kind of college uh university experience so actually university i had a tough time making decisions uh so i I had applied to a number of schools in uh, in uh, Canada, U.S., and I also applied to uh, Imperial College in England, where uh, my dad and a number of family friends all went there. So I included that as an application. And uh, so uh, the U.S. schools I applied to were, were pretty tough schools to get into. Uh, there were two, so... I was unsuccessful with those two, but I had uh, applied to different programs. Uh, the, at, in high school, uh, I think I didn't know what I wanted to do. I don't. I think Justin, you're probably in the same boat. Um, so yeah. I applied for everything. Uh, I applied for liberal arts in some places. I applied for uh, commerce, I think, somewhere. Applied to engineering uh, at Imperial College and uh, U of T. And, uh, you know, I was a deep, pretty good student in high school, uh, I'll admit. <laughs> so I, I did, did get pretty much, um, I did have, uh, did have lots of choices. Um, do you remember, do you remember um, when we're in, I think, OAC Finite, our golf game that we created? Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably why we were liked so well by, uh, <laughs> what was his yes. name? Pirac. Uh, Pirac, yeah. <laughs> and then uh, uh, Mr. Morton and his MG. Yes, Mr. Morton. Mr. Morton teacher. was instrumental in me uh, applying to engineering programs, actually. Really? Yeah. Because I was I was uh, more of a history buff. Uh-huh. History. And, uh, but uh, Mr. Morton did such a good job teaching physics and uh engineering was still on the plate so oh wow makes a big difference i mean i i agree with you like the high school teachers that we were really lucky we went to you know lauren park and Missaga. the high school teachers were really good and my the one who made a big difference for me was pj mccallum do you remember him yeah 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 he was, he was our calculus teacher he was he like was tough. tough he was tough he was like walking around with the uh a big ruler and like slamming the table but he, he was, i enjoyed he was a good math yeah. teacher yeah he was there yeah really great teacher so he took, took no nonsense though yeah yeah 
so sort of, yeah, sort of so you, you weren't really sure what you wanted to do in um, yeah, high so, school. You applied to various programs and, and then, then you I landed on that yeah. um, England University started in October. And then, uh, of course, North America, they start in September. So I said, hey, why don't I accept both of them? Hey, this is <laughs> <laughs> so I actually started, uh, I accepted a scholarship to U of T. And I did two weeks at U of T. All the while, I thought, yeah, I was probably going to go to Imperial College. Uh, and so I, I, I guess I dropped out of U of T. Yeah, <laughs> after two weeks. And... Uh, Moved moved to London, which uh, my mother wasn't too happy about, but uh, <laughs> uh, it was an adventure. You know, I wanted to say uh, I'll try something uh, something new. So I moved to London. I went uh, and studied at Imperial College. Uh, I did material science. All the while, I, in my mind, I was like, I'm going to do engineering, and then I'll uh, I'll come back and do law school or or something like that. Um, but midway through uh, at Imperial, I did a did a placement at MIT, uh, actually making batteries, making solid state batteries in two thousand eight. Sorry, at, uh, no, it's interesting. That's really like how how did you even get into that? Like how did you decide that was your research project? Was that self guided or a professor? Well, there was there were some connections between Imperial and like there. Well, uh, I think there was some professor. Who worked with uh, who went back and forth between Imperial uh -huh. and anyway, I, I did I, I was lucky enough to get this spot in Don Sadaway's lab. Uh, Don Sadaway is a pretty well-known professor at MIT and mm -hmm. started a bunch of companies, uh, especially recently. Donald Sadaway. Uh, and um, uh, so actually we were doing some work on solid state batteries in 2003. and I had so much fun doing that over that summer i was like huh i like this so i applied for uh when i was close to finishing my undergrad i applied for um, uh, phd programs uh in i applied to mit as well as uh, imperial college in cambridge uh, i ended up actually going to mit for just over a year after uh, for where i started my phd but then you know things didn't um with PhDs, your project is uh, what it's all about, and then yeah. uh, I was working on things that I didn't really want to. Uh, oh, so your your PhD project wasn't related to solid state batteries. I wanted it to be. Uh, okay. And then when I got there, the fun you know it's all depends on what's going to be funded, right? The funded yeah, yeah. projects uh, was on something completely different. If you really want to know, it was on uh, making. Um, oxygen out of moon rock out of moon rock i mean yeah how, how do you even get do you, are you getting actual moon rock from the moon so actually and... we, we had a uh, simulant from nasa oh uh, wow supposed to be the same makeup of moon rock and the idea was to um, make a molten salt out of that and electrolyze that removing the separating oxygen from that long story anyway um I honestly didn't think there was a big future in that. So <laughs> I, uh, I uh, asked to go back to uh, the, applied back to the professor I was going to work with at Cambridge. And he, he took me back, I guess. 
Oh, okay. So like, how does that work? Even like transferring mid PhD, like, do you, you basically is it just like applying for another job and you just get a job? You start you just, again. Yeah. You start again. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Got it. So it was, it was, it was good. Um, so but that was a great, great move for me going back, going to Cambridge, England. Yeah. Actually. I loved Cambridge. Uh, so, um, I worked on something battery related again, that was, uh, making tin carbon nanotube composite materials, which is actually now today, something that's being considered for, uh, next gen batteries. Uh, mm. And so it was, it was a good, good piece of research we did. I also met a great bunch of friends who were, were still very close today. So I'm very happy of the mm. that turn, around, turn of events. And then, you know, you finish your PhD around like 2008 and then, then what you're like, okay, you've kind of climbed the summit of academia. Now what so, <laughs> did you know what you wanted to do? And then I, then I got flummoxed again. So, uh, it was 2009, the economy was, oh, yeah. was, uh, as you know, pretty shaky at that time. It was end of 2008. It was basically just as everything was collapsing. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I actually applied to, I thought I would wanted to be a management consultant for a few. Oh, months, yeah, yeah. Which, uh, on hindsight, was a, I don't know what I was thinking. Uh, but I applied for a bunch of, I got a few, uh, one or two offers. And uh, then my dad called and said, hey, what was why do you want to be a management consultant after all that? <laughs> <laughs> no, but hold on. Was this like, did he, was he expecting you to take one of those offers? And then he said, Hey, no, sure? uh, yeah, I, I, the offers were in London. I sort of was a bit, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, actually I did try to apply for, yeah. I don't remember exactly what it was, all the things I applied for, but, yeah. I think the ones I, I I was accepted to were in London. Um, uh-huh. So anyway, we I decided to move back, join Electrovia, back into science, uh, and uh, I've been there since. So that was two thousand and nine, where uh, the idea I when I came back to uh, Canada and started working at Electrovia, the what I was planning to do was actually work on the same. Uh, same thing I was doing. It was my PhD, which was that tin carbon nanotube uh, hmm. uh, work, and so I worked in the research division at Electrovia at the time. Uh, that that kind of research didn't really work out too well. So uh, eventually made made my way to more practical research, which was energy storage systems. And the long story continues. The rest is history. Um, cool. We'll wrap up soon, but a couple of uh, final questions that are, um, you know, how would you advise somebody who might be earlier in the career, or like even mid-career, of how they should figure out what they want to do with their career, right? Like you just shared your story about trying different things and, um, you know, kind of making, it seems like making some decisions based on like your intuition right? Like, okay, choosing to go to Imperial instead of stay at U of T, and then also uh, deciding to change um, PhD programs and professors, like kind of one year into your um, initial PhD. How do you recommend folks who are just not sure what they want to do to, um, you know, make sound decisions for their life career? Yeah, I, I think there's a lot of, 
there was a lot of pressure when we were growing up. I think that pressure is probably increasing. So I can understand that uh, young people uh, feel feel a lot of pressure to get things right. Mm. Um, and my advice for them is sometimes, you know, just go with your with your gut and your heart. Um, so a lot of people ask me why I would choose to leave MIT after, you know, it's, it was the top school and, uh, and, 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 you know, I wasn't happy, uh, and your happiness is what really matters. So, uh, I, I'm not saying that to let that be your sole guide and sort of you have to take your heart and your head. Yeah. Um, but find what you're good at. And if you're good at multiple things, see how you can align that with uh, uh, what makes you happy. And if you can do that, that that's that's uh, uh, that should work out. Cool. And then last question: What do you do to take care of yourself? You are busy um, walking the factory floor. You have um, young kid to take care of. What do you do to uh, take care of? Dr. Raj, to recharge your battery, no pun intended. Recharge. <laughs> I, I, I do. What the, I think recharging your batteries is definitely important. Uh, I played some tennis. I like to play tennis. Yeah. I think that's a good stress relief, hitting a yeah. ball hard. Sometimes <laughs> stress, tennis can add stress when you hit the ball hard and it goes out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I think keeping some physical activity is is as you know, Justin, you're, you're a big runner. Um, you're much more uh, you're much more into the uh, a balanced lifestyle than I am. Though. No, no, no. <laughs> well, you you probably get more steps in during the day than I do because I will run like thirty minutes in the morning and then I'm like sitting at my desk for the rest of the twenty three. Sitting in my desk or sleeping the other 23 and a half hours. So well, you're probably more active than I am. Well, sleeping also helps. I think that's <laughs> yeah. reach out, especially when you have young kids. Uh, people will probably know that sleep is. Uh, oh, yeah. It's magical. It's Enjoy magical. it. <laughs> yeah. And then, last question is uh, for people who want to follow you and learn more about Electrovia, where do you recommend they go? Uh, I, uh, I'm not big on social media. I just sort of use LinkedIn. Yeah. Uh, I think that's where you actually, you can find a lot of good stuff on LinkedIn, what companies and individuals are working on. Uh, and you'll see, uh, you know, we post there fairly frequently. Yeah. And to learn more about and, the company, and, and, go to, uh, electrovia.com. Yeah, not a bad place to start. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, you gotta yeah. ramp you, you gotta ramp up the PR marketing garage. <laughs> You're too yeah. humble. Electrovide, <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Thanks, Raj. I know it's late, so thank you for uh hopping on with us, but really appreciate it. Your story is, is super amazing too. I didn't know a lot of this stuff pre high school because um obviously you know, we were friends after that, but it was great. To no, actually, uh, Justin, you know, when we met, in, well, we met in grade nine, right? I grade think so, nine, nine or ten, ten. Yeah. Yeah. Grade ten, yeah. So actually, you were, you were quite key in like how things. To, I don't know whether it was the other way around, but like when I met you, you were like, oh, I'm gonna 
do uh, high school in four years. And I was like, oh, <laughs> that's not a bad idea. So actually, that that's why I did high school in four years. Hey, because you and see, now <laughs> the kids have no choice. So if <laughs> if we were in high school today, we would do it in three years, right, Raj? Yeah, Just probably. Because. <laughs> how, how long did it take you to do your undergrad? I think you did it in three. Three, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> hey, why not? I mean, if I can. What? Well, but, you know, there are obviously some trade-offs because I didn't have a proper job until I graduated. So, like, while other kids were doing real internships in between the summer while I was in school, I, I, I didn't have that. So when I applied to my first job, like at PwC as an accountant, um, I might have had pizza pizza on my resume. I don't remember. <laughs> you know, I sometimes look back and I'm like, why were Justin and I in such a rush? I'm like, I'm gonna be working the rest of my life. <laughs> the challenge is fun. Come on, just because you're yeah, good. The challenge is fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's yeah, good yeah. advice. So. Yeah. I mean, it, at the end of the day, this is a game, right? Life is a game. You get to define what what mini games you're playing within it and like how you define the game and all that stuff. So yeah, for me, the fast tracking was like a fun game of like, oh, I wonder if we could do it, right? Like, could we do it and still like do decently well, like academically? And uh, that's why working. I looked at high school as a game. I was like, oh, this first year there, I, to me, I wasn't that ambitious until grade 10. Yeah. I was like, oh, yeah. let me get good marks now. Mm, <laughs> I did. The rest is history. Look at you now, Raj. I'm very <laughs> proud of you. Now I'm um, but... marks anymore. <laughs> yeah. Um, but thanks for joining. Um, again, really appreciate the, the time and the candor. And I'm looking forward to seeing all the cool stuff you continue to do at uh, Electrovia. Oh, thanks, Justin. It's been fun. Thanks, Have Raj. A Have a good night. Bye. Good night. Bye. Hey, everyone. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Asian Tech Leaders. If you enjoyed the podcast, please share it with your family and friends. Leave me a review on iTunes or drop me a note on our website, asiantechleaders.com. I really appreciate having each of you as a listener and sharing your valuable time with me. Be well, stay healthy, and follow your heart. See you soon.